0: The Wakanda Forever edition of the Locked on Texas podcast as we celebrate Black History Month. We will be joined by Brandon K. Scott and Big Sarge. And we discuss whether or not Houston and this team perception has changed under D'Amico Ryans. And we look at the coaching staff and realistic expectations. And to tie it all in, we want to develop a great team here that we can deliver wins to the city of Houston. We want to deliver a championship here to the city of Houston, and that's what, it, that's what it'll be about. You are Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in, everybody, to a Monday episode of the Locked On Texan podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Ultimate Football GM. If you've ever dreamed about becoming an NFL general manager and managing your own football franchise, this game is definitely for you. To download the game, just visit ultimate-gm.com or look it up on the app stores and our listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using promo code On in all caps, in the game. Now, normally I would say, I'm John Hipkin, I'm joined by Cody Davis, but for today, we got a remix it, got a murder mix it, and we are hmm. adding on <laughs> two of my favorite people in the sports media world, Brandon K. Scott of 6'10", Big Sarge, you know what is going on, and right now, y'all know what it is, it's February, <laughs> since Matt McGlung won the dunk contest, we got to do everything in our power to fight against that. make our ancestors proud but today we're here to discuss the Houston Texans we got a two-part show so this will kick off our week in a fun way I'm super excited for today's podcast the Texans hired D'Amico Ryan's the Texans are reshaping and revamping their coaching staff Houston right now has I think 33 million dollars in cap space top 10 in the NFL the availability to you know, really shake some things up this coming uh, offseason. How has the Houston Texans reputation changed and how can it continue to change as we get head, ahead of the uh, – ready for the draft?
1: Hey, first of all, let's say hello to everyone. Um, I, I feel like the the reputation of the Houston Texans is changing. And the reason why it is, is changing is because of who you mentioned and the hiring of D'Amico Ryan's. With that being said, it's one of those things where, you know, a lot of these free agents, a lot of the people on the outside world who look looks in, you know, on the Texans and evaluates the Texans and talks about the Texans have always thought that for the last, you know, two and a half to three years that this has been, uh, you know, a show, you know, it has been a cluster that the Houston Texans organization does not know what they're doing. And you've seen it with the hiring of David Culley. You've seen it with the hiring of Lovey Smith, the last minute hiring of Lovey Smith, who, if it hadn't have been for and, you know, I, I'm just recapping, but if it hadn't have been for the Brian Flores lawsuit, um, we all know that Joshua McCown would have been the head coach of the Houston Texans and that would have done nothing but push them further down as far as being a clown show or a joke to the rest of the league, so bringing in D'Amico Rhines is someone that, you know, let's just re- remove the fact that or, or put to the side the fact that he did play for the Houston Texans, that he was very good at the Houston Texans. Let's just move that to the side and let's just focus totally on what he's done as a coach in the NFL. So, yes, his playing days are going to play into and give, um, you know, some, t- some sort of foundation for the Houston Texans as far as being a former player. But what he did by keeping that ship afloat, even after Robert Sala left to go become the head coach of the New York Jets, you know, he just stepped right in and kept that ship, kept, kept kept that ship moving. He stepped right in and brought in even some of his, you know, defensive mindset, some of his, some of his, the things that he wanted to implement as far as the defense is concerned. And, you know, even talking with some of the former players, they would tell you that D'Amico was one of those guys that, would go as a player and sit in inside of other position groups' um, meetings, t- team meetings, to find out what was going on and what they were supposed to do. And, you know, that happened as far as the San Francisco 49ers was concerned. He also knew what everybody was supposed to do. So, you know, I prefaced all that to say that when D'Amico gets to talking – to some of these big-name free agents when he's bringing you know, some of these big-name free agents in as far as, let's just say, on the offensive side of the ball because we know that he's going to be able to talk you know, the lingo and knows the acronyms and everything that needs to be said to the defensive side of the ball. But because he is so well-versed in watching what Mike Shanahan did in San Francisco and knowing what uh, uh, an efficient offense should look like, he can also talk to some of these big name free agents coming in. So he had he's restoring slowly. Now, I don't want to jump out there and say that he's restored the, the entire credibility of the Houston Texans because we still need to see what General Manager Nick Casario is going to do, especially with this draft and moving forward. But what he has done is he's starting to slowly remove the stigma that the Houston Texans are a clown show.
2: And B. Scott, when you talk about D'Amico Ryan's coming in and restoring the credibility, bringing the respectability level to the Houston Texans organization. Um, How great was it to see that for the very first time in like, what, two, maybe three years that not only are the current players getting behind the head coach, but also the alumni that a lot of people love, like Andre Johnson, J. Joe, like so many people are behind D'Amico Ryan's as this team's new head coach.
3: Yeah, I think one of the bigger differences in this year—let's just call it—between this year and last year is that it seems less forced and less of like a relief, and more like a a true excitement. Like going back to Sarge's point about you know the, the hiring of David Culley and the hiring of Lovey Smith, and then getting here. Like the thing with David Culley was confusing. None of us really could quite fully understand and that was and that's with respect to David Cully as a man and all of that. But we really weren't sure what was going on. We were still doing Zoom press conferences. And so we didn't get to meet the man eye to eye, face to face and shake his hand for the initial, you know, in that initial meeting and press conference. All we got of him was David Cully on a computer screen. And it just it just did not feel quite right and, and like it didn't really fully make sense. And we were all trying to make sense of it at the time. And I think are still trying to, and struggling to make sense of it to this day. And then last year, as SARS laid out perfectly there, you know, the the Lovey Smith thing was really the hiring of him was really like a you know the, the excitement behind that was really more of a relief thing. Like, oh God, thankfully they didn't hire Josh McCown. And Oh God, it seems like maybe didn't nobody want this job. So at the very least, this was my take at the time. Well, look, for where you are as a franchise right now, as a laughing stock in the NFL, you should be glad to get somebody like Lovey Smith. Like you should be, (laughs) like Lovey Smith is about what your ceiling is right now in terms of the type of candidate that you should attract. You know, a, a possible retread, somebody that is not necessarily in high demand because of where the organization was at the time with the draft picks and the cap space and, and more, more importantly, I would say the situation with Deshaun Watson and how uncertain that thing was in terms of his, uh, the, the, the ability to trade him, what they would get back, and all of that. So I think that, that this go-around with D'Amico, there is a genuine excitement. And I point all that to say there were former players who were there in support of last year, but I think in part that was, you know, Lovey commanding a certain amount of respect for what he's done throughout his career – not necessarily like a true excitement and belief that this is the coach of the future or anything like that. You know, I remember even at the time people were talking about where he ain't going to be here longer than two years. They're going to hire a real coach after that. Like people were saying that already when he was hired. So you kind of look at it as like, was he even in a position? What position was he even really put in to succeed anyway? And that's independent of his performance. You know, his performance is his own discussion, but like the whole, the whole energy around hiring him felt like, hey, we're just hitting the eject button on something that was objectively a bad idea and offensive to many. Um, that you know, that a that an unproven white coach would be able to come here without having ever coached anywhere and would be the coach. So you don't have any of that with D'Amico Ryan's. That's a long-winded way of saying you don't have any of that with D'Amico Ryans, none of that uh sort of skepticism behind the hire. There's a true excitement. And, and I like that Saur said because this is the thing I've tried to do every time I talk about it. It's like separate. You can separate the emotional attachment to D'Amico from a local perspective of him being like kind of a local hero, a guy who played here, played well here for for several years with his like individual candidacy as a a head coach. And what you're able to do is just sprinkle that, all of that nostalgia on top of it because he was an elite, prime candidate regardless of what team you were who was looking for a head coach and then on top of that I think that I honestly think that the Texans benefit from the nostalgia angle of it that D'Amico has a certain affection and and not just affection but particular intel on the organization to where he's not an outsider because the outside view on this place is "Eh, I don't know about that but D'Amico to me, had a little bit more of a, a little bit more of a positive outlook on it because he knows the area and believes in the area and has an affection for the place on a different level than somebody else. So, and I actually mentioned this to Nick Casario right before that press conference kind of in passing. I told him, I said, "Hey, man, this is perfect timing for you guys. That in a year where you guys would need a coach, that somebody like D'Amico, D'Amico's caliber." Would, would think himself and believe himself to be ready to be a coach, because that was part of the story, too, was last year he just didn't feel like he was ready. He feels himself ready to be a coach. And then on top of that, he's got the institutional knowledge and understanding of what this organization, if not is currently, what it can be and what it's been in the past and wants to be a part of that. B, so, can I,
1: can I let me, let me interject something real quick? And sure. not only that, not, not only with what you just said about them being lucky to get him right now, Another thing that they were lucky to have was uh, an African-American coach who was available, who has the credibility and the reputation and the resume that he has to be able to remove that. All they do is hire black coaches to fire them, sticking Uh with the Houston Texans were falling up under.
0: And I also would like to add to that, when we look at, you know, how has the Texans' reputation changed? Well, I think you go from Cully one year, Smith one year, now you land on Lovey Smith. The difference, I mean, not Lovey Smith, you land on D'Amico Ryan's. The difference now is I think we can all say that there will be some stability, right? B Scott, you mentioned that when Lovey Smith was hired, it was already a conversation of, well, this is a, a placeholder. One or two seasons he'll be out there, be looking for who they really want. This is who they really wanted. And so because he is a black coach, Right, and because he's coming into a situation where not only are are you coming into a situation, this is your first year as a head coach, but you could also go out there and potentially get your your quarterback and create some stability within this franchise that hasn't had that. I think that's one of the more important things. That regardless of who it was, it came down to be D'Amico, and I think a lot of people are happy because he was a player, a great hell of a you know hell of a great coach. D.C. with the 49ers, but now this franchise has some type of stability, which is super important, not only for the players that they can bring in, but I think it's more so important for general manager Nick Sirianni because he was a part of the reason why there was no stability in the first place. Today's episode is brought to you by Ultimate Football GM. You've heard us talk a lot about this game on our show. I can't tell you how much fun I had competing against my fellow Locked On NFL host, out to C.C. Chris Carter of the Locked On Steelers podcast, was our Locked On NFL champion. But don't worry about us. It's your turn to get into the game and compete right now. If you've ever dreamed of becoming an NFL general manager and managing your own football franchise, your dreams can come true. Right now with this game is definitely for you. You'll be able to manage every strategic aspect of your team, play through the season and lead your team to glory while trying to build a dynasty. With Ultimate Football GM, you're responsible for controlling the destiny of your franchise by hiring the right coaches and coordinators. So you could be Cal McNair in this situation, trading player players and navigating your franchise through free agency and the draft. And all of the ups and downs of a season. All of this in a challenging yet realistic game world. Ultimate Football GM is completely free and playable offline. Play on the go as you want, when you want to. Our locked on Texan listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using promo code locked on in all caps in the game store. That's locked on in all caps. So make sure you check it out today ultimate football GM start your dynasty right now
2: welcome back in ladies and gentlemen to this Monday installment of locked on Texans with Brandon K Scott and Big Sarge um Big Sarge I'm gonna start with you um everybody is excited about the hiring of the Miko Ryans but at the end of the day it doesn't matter how exciting we are today at the end of the day it all comes down to how much better he's going to make this organization you're looking at a team that has won only seven games in the last two seasons like I just mentioned everybody's excited about D'Amico but at the end of the day what what is going to be the realistic expectations for D'Amico Ryans with his first season as the head coach of the Houston Texans
1: Cody to, to answer that question I I feel like there's going to be a lot of excitement of course but I don't think that the Texans is going to be where some people think that they're going to be. I mean, realistically, they're going to win, definitely win more than three games um, next season. But I don't think that anybody could be disappointed if that's five games and, and maybe six. Because if you look at their schedule, like they don't have an easy it's schedule coming up next season. It's easier. Though. Isn't it easier than this past, this past season? Well, so if you look at it, they play Cincinnati, Atlanta, Baltimore, Carolina – Cleveland, Pittsburgh, New Orleans, Tampa Bay, Denver, Arizona, and the Jets. And those, and I, and I'm just, I excluded the AFC South, right? But I mean, when you look at some of those games, I, the, I mean, realistically, you can't expect them to go out and beat the Cincinnati Bengals, um, Atlanta, the Atlanta Falcons. They're going to get a whole lot better next season, uh, Baltimore, you know, even though they're going to have a disgruntled Lamar Jackson. I mean, so just looking at those, at those three games alone, and i am be honest with you, I don't think that they're going to be Cleveland um, next season as well. You know, they may be able to be Pittsburgh, but New Orleans is going to be revamped. So all I'm saying is, and Denver is, def- Denver and Arizona is going to look totally different. So mm. all I'm saying is, is that, you know, realistically five or six games, which is an improvement over what we've seen, the last two seasons so i don't the what's going to be the telltale sign is who they get in the draft and what type of free agents they can bring in here because even last season and i know a lot of people want to Talk bad about the Houston Texans def- on the defensive side of the ball. They weren't really bad defensively. They were just on the field a lot. And I understand, you know, they gave up a lot of rush yards throughout the season. I, I definitely understand it. But if you go back and you look towards the end of the season, when Lovey Smith finally changed up his scheme, his defensive scheme, they started to get a whole lot better, even when it came to you know stopping the run. Imagine the amount of rush yards they gave up to Derrick Henry in that first game, and then the game that they won on Christmas Eve by stopping Derrick Henry. So the defense is going to get better. I feel that D'Amico is going to be able to, especially in the AFC South, he can scheme. He can definitely scheme and put together a scheme to stop the Jacksonville Jaguars. He can put together a scheme to stop. The Tennessee Titans, especially not knowing what their quarterback situation is going to be, who's going to start for them next season. Um, Indianapolis, that's still a wild card. You don't know what, what they're going to be. And so realistically speaking, I can see them winning five or six games. And like I said, that that's an improvement. You <clears> probably <throat> should be excited moving forward. But if they don't, draft right which I don't think that Nick Casario is going to draft wrong that's one thing that I do and Cody you and I've had this conversation offline I do believe that he's one of those guys that can go back on you know to his former to his past experience when he was with the New England Patriots as a scout to be able to you know see that talent to see that Jalen Petrie to see Mm -hmm. that you know Damian Pierce to see that Thomas Booker so I think that this year with the amount of draft capital that they have, they're still going to be a very young team, of course, and still you know, being built around a lot of young guys. But next season, I don't expect them to be, you know, just to take this automatic jump and this automatically, but I don't expect them to be as bad as they was before.
0: You know, I think for next season, wins and losses isn't a top priority to judge the team off of. Right, and, and I think that in the last ten years, we've seen coaches come into situations for the first time, and they've done, you know, fairly good. I think I I think Sean Payton's going to do very good in Denver. Uh, we can look at a Lafleur taking over from McCarthy and, uh, and, and in with, with Green Bay. You know, he stepped in, he had all the tools, but he had a good season his first year. Then we've seen guys that stepped in, and, and they've had terrible years. Um, like Robert Sala in his first year, right? I I think that when you look at D'Amico Ryan's this upcoming season, it's all about a word you said earlier, Sarge, and that's efficient, efficient, but on the football field, be efficient football players, right? I want to see a lot of those missed tackles cut down. I want to see players that are able to develop during the season, um, there wasn't a lot of times where we saw players get better throughout the season this past year on a consistent basis. I will say that keeping Coach Cazere, I like that because he didn't have a whole lot of talent up front, but towards the end of the year, those guys got a little bit better. Uh, so I just want to see the small things in football improve. Like but who is, is
1: who you're talking about?
0: Yeah, did okay. I, did okay. I, did I, I hope I said his name right. Uh, but they retained him. They brought in Chris Kiffin. Chris Kiffin is going to be the linebacker coach. They kept Coach Jock. Uh, but just some of those mental errors in football that Houston made a lot last year. Let's cut those downs and let's expand on um, what these players do well. That is what I'm looking forward
1: to. Can I ask you a question though, John? Do you think that some of that inefficiency on the defensive side of the ball came from the fact that the offense was inefficient? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, there, were, there were moments
0: where the Eagles game in their first half, the offense looked good. The, the defense wasn't as bad, but it's only so much I can do if I'm on the field all the time. Eventually, I get tired. And eventually, it makes sense why my safeties are almost leading the league in, in tackles because the front seven is getting abused right now. So I do think that's the case. I do think that during the offseason, combine that with free agency in the draft, they're going to get better, more talent, and I think that talent is going to help this defense and on both sides of the ball. But even offensively, cut down on some of those mental mistakes and mental errors. Getting Davis Mills out the game, allow him to be a backup quarterback, which we're probably thriving at. Uh, my man Keon Green, another offseason, a full offseason this go-round, because he didn't get there last year, for him to grow up as an NFL lineman. So I don't want to put numbers in terms of wins and losses as a realistic expectation. Guys, I want to look at how did these players get better? And eventually over time, those players getting better, especially the foundational players and guys that they bring in, that are translating to more wins. But year 1, let's not let's not let's not put numbers on it. Let's be fair about it. He is coming into a situation that was terrible the last 3 years, even with the Sean team was bad, right? let him grow and let him develop these players to eventually year three, maybe now you got realistic expectations of you should go out here and be able to win these ball games year one, half a year two. I'm cool with just seeing the development, which is why I really like liked
3: him. See, so if I could, if I could jump here real quick, because I agree with about 99.9% of what John is saying, but the only place where I would divert it is I wouldn't really try to limit one way or the other, like soon or later on how many years it's going to take. Because I don't feel like it's got to be one year, two year, three year, four year. People talking about it's a three year plan. It's a four year plan. It's a five year plan. This, that and the third look. And this goes back to Sarge's point. All of this. And and this is also me agreeing with John, too. I'm not putting a number on how many wins wins they're going to have yet, because I don't know who quarterback is going to be. Free agency ain't even started yet. Right. We haven't got to the draft. Not only do I not know what the Texans are going to look like in 2023, I don't really know what those other teams are going to look like next year either. Like Sarge did a good job of sort of prognosticating of, hey, Atlanta's going to get better, and I don't think they're going to be Cleveland. And I, I tend to agree, and, and Sarge has a good beat on these types of things. But let's be honest, though, too. We don't really know what these teams are going to look like. We, right. we, we, we just don't know enough yet. And I feel like we'll be able to have a more informed opinion on that once we get later on into the offseason as we approach the OTAs, more so the, I should say, really more so training camp when the teams are fully formed the way that we can imagine them being once we get to the season. And then I'll start saying, hey, well, this is, I've picked them to win four, four games the last two or three years. So I feel like I could be considered, and, and they they fell just short of that this year. I thought I picked them to win four games. this After past playing year. playing for the tie. I'm telling you. But look, I, so am I going to go for a third straight year picking them to win four games?
0: We'll see on how the team is constructed eventually. Let me I, let me say that I had to cut y'all, but to clarify, win. I naturally give a, a new situation three years before I can say. Um. Well, it's time to move on. Or now you have, you know, real aspirations to compete. Yeah. So yeah. that's why I always, even with like rookie quarterback, a new head coach, anybody coming into a new situation at this level in the league, mm. unless you're like, you know, one of the guard tier players, of Brady going to Tampa Bay for the first time, wherever yeah. Aaron Rodgers goes next, right? Those type of situations. That's different, yeah. but. A new head coach, a new quarterback, all of these new things. I believe that you need those three years, and I think that because of the recent success of like Patrick Mahomes and Lamar yeah. Jackson in year two, winning MVP, we kind of get away from that. But it's still fair to give those guys three years. Well, so, see.
3: But see, I would I would separate the difference between patience and expectations
0: nah. because
3: because we can certainly have patience like for three years. Like they bottom to me, honestly, D'Amico got job security. That six-year deal and the embarrassment that has been the last couple of years, they can go 0-17, and, and we're going to all be mad about it, and we're going to all be uh, ripping them a new one, but I, th- I think that they have backed themselves into a corner of where they need to be patient, but that, to me, is a little bit different from expectation. You draft a franchise quarterback, you hit so- hit on a couple of high-end free agents, and you got a draft that we're all impressed with. Like I don't see why, if they upgrade this roster significantly, why... Although we're patient, we got to have low expectations. Like if they go out there and make some moves, I'm not going to be like, well, it's a new situation. Well, they got to figure it out. No, you know what? I believe in D'Amico Ryan's. I believe in certain players. If they go and cop those certain players, I'm going to believe in that. And I'm going to say, well, why not? Win well, six, so seven, or eight games, and 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 sort of turn this thing around. Like it did, and to me, it doesn't have to take forever. It might, but it doesn't necessarily have to. We just have to see how
0: it play out. Let's 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 circle back on that. We're going when we come back, we're gonna talk about this new coaching staff. Let's grade them, and then let's have a little bit more
2: fun here on the Locked On Texan podcast. Welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen, to this Monday installment once again. Before we close out this part one installment, I guess I'm going to call it the Wakanda Forever edition of Locked on Texans. Um, we talked a lot about D'Amico Ryans, but you guys know the guys that he surrounds himself with in terms of coordinators, in terms of position coaches, it's just as important. Um, B. Scott, I'm going to start with you. What are some of your thoughts about the coaching staff that – Demico Ryan's and the Houston Texans were able to bring in.
3: Yeah, so uh, for me, it is a largely unproven staff, and I think a lot of it that uh, a lot of the confidence that people have and everything that's happening with the staff right now has a lot to do with the confidence in D'Amico Ryan's. Mm-hmm. So it's like if this is D'Amico Ryan's, people, he my people type of thing. Like we're we're still in that honeymoon phase, and 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 I think rightfully so that D'Amico commands a certain level of, of cred- credibility and has some equity built up with the, with the fan base where it's like hey if this is the guy that he's bringing in then I'm open to it but even before they hired D'Amico and I was trying to figure out like if they hired him who would be the guy I kind of looked at the not kind of I looked at the San Francisco 49ers staff up and down and said okay w- who makes sense that he would poach away from here. And Bobby Sloick's name was right there as the passing game coordinator. And I just assumed without any intel or information, I just assumed, well, that must be the guy. That's probably going to be the guy that D'Amico takes with him. Um, and this is before I knew anything about him. That's probably going to be the guy that uh, that he takes with him if, he, if, and when he gets a job, wherever that is. I um, mean, and sure enough, that's the guy. So, you know, you look at that and, and at the time I didn't realize that the two of them had coached together on the defensive side of the ball as, um, as as assistance, I believe maybe quality control assistance in 2017 before uh, before Shanahan pulled him over to the offensive side of the ball. So I mean, I like that they are at least pulling from the system that has had success throughout the league, whether it be in San Francisco with Shanahan or the you know Mike McDaniel's offense with the with the with the uh, with the Miami Dolphins. Now, mind you, they had. <laughs> They had dudes that had these these speedsters that, like, you know, it's not like the Texans are, like, right now ready to replicate Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill, right? So it's not like they're, you know, exactly able to replicate that. But from a systematic standpoint, I like what they're doing. On the defensive side, to me, what's really interesting is that he hired a defensive coordinator who previously, two years ago, was a game management coach or game management coordinator for Robert Sala in his first year with the New York, uh, with the New York jets. And it made me think, and they haven't, I don't think they've said this yet. Who's going to call the plays on the defensive side of the ball, but it made me wonder if, you know, what if D'Amico calls the plays and Matt Burke is the person that helps him with the game management and they just don't call him that, or, you know what I mean? Like, what if, what if the, the roles like I'm, I'm really curious to see how the roles are going to be defined specifically uh, because we got a defensive coach who's hired a defensive coordinator last year, you had a defensive coach who did not hire a defensive coordinator and decided to call the plays himself. So I'm interested to see what that dynamic is going to look like exactly. Um, and then the 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 defensive passing game coordinator, I believe y'all help me with this name is it Corey Unlin? I believe is the name. Yeah. I'm really interested. Obviously, Texans fans, the people that listen to this podcast that are invested in this podcast are highly invested in the progress of one Derrick Stingley Jr. I feel like this is a Derrick Stingley Jr. friendly podcast where where most of us, I believe we all believe that he is a supreme talent and somebody that's going to be very good when, if and when put in the proper position to do so. We all understand that he wasn't necessarily put in that position in the previous scheme that they had and then obviously he's going to have to answer for the for the injury concerns which last year might not be totally fair to that narrative but the narrative still exists until he's able to kill it you know until he's able to get through a season fully healthy that's going to be something that hangs over his head so you're hoping for full a fully healthy derrick stingley who is now put in a position to actually maximize his his talents and i want to see what the, the guys who coach the secondary are going to be able to do in terms of developing a guy like Derek Stingley Jr. and Jalen Petrie who we believe, I, I'm going to speak for myself here and I feel like y'all will agree with me those are two guys who have pro-bowl, all-pro potential. Will they realize it? Yeah. We'll see. But you can see that there is something there and I'm really interested to see if those spe- specific coaches are going to be able to tap into that.
0: I want to go back to the debate that was brewing right before we left out of that second segment the what does the houston texans have to do to compete in the afc south uh tennessee won it two years ago jacksonville won it this past season and sarge you know i want to get this directly to you uh-huh. what if any can this team do right you know sorry i mean i'm sorry k scott already mentioned that they don't have to wait two years to get things done, how Jacksonville had to wait two years to get it done, two offseasons because of their botching of a head coaching search. They can do it this year. Is it enough, though? Like in your mind, what can, if any, the Houston Texans do to possibly win this AFC South division this upcoming year?
1: It's, it's going to take a lot, John. And the reason why I say it's going to take a lot is because you're, you have a lot of moving parts that you have a lot of, excuse me, pieces that you want to move in cohesiveness and all move at, you know, one direction, one speed all together. And that's not easy to do when you're bringing in a lot of people in different areas, as far as this coaching staff is concerned, you're bringing a guy from here, you're bringing a guy from here, mm. and you, all, you have to get them to buy in, to the philosophy of what D'Amico Ryan's wants. You have to get them to buy into the, the swarm mentality that D'Amico Ryan keeps preaching about. Right. And so once you do that now, not only do you have to get the the coaches in a cohesive group moving in one way, you also got to get the players in what, and imagine some of these players who have been here, who's been through some of the trials and tribulations with, you know the former coaches and the former staff and, and and players like that. You got these young players that you're trying to develop because I mean, let's just take some of last year's draft class. And you know, uh, B Scott mentioned it. I mean you you have a you have a, a, a Jalen Petrie, you have a, a um, Derek Stingley Jr., you have a you know Kenyon Green. You have these guys who you know they're they're coming out of college <clears throat> and they're not used to losing. They're not used to losing. They're not used to being in such a uh, uh, being being part of the outside of Jalen Petrie, for sure. But, you know, something that's so disorganized or disarrayed. I mean, we we all know the story about Baylor. But, you know, you got these guys. And so now you think about their first year of playing football is what they were under this last season. So now that's something that you have to go back and you have to completely clear their minds of what they went through. Yes, take some of the good, learn learn from the bad, and continue moving. And so now you have that on top of these brand new guys that you're going to bring here, as far as the free agents and the draft uh, draft picks coming in, plus with the guys that have already been here, some of the veterans. So you're going to have to ask all of those guys to move in a cohesive unit, the same way that you wanted you want your coaching uh, your, your coaching staff to do. And now, that's not easy to do in the first year because, yes, D'Amico has proved it. But what has Bobby Sloan proved? He hasn't Hmm. proven anything. And if you're on the offensive side of the ball, you can say to yourself, well, like, Shanahan's offense looked great. I don't know what your offense is going to look like. And I wrote this down because B. Scott, uh, I had wrote it down, but B. Scott brought it up as well. Yeah, sure. Mike McDaniels can leave the San Francisco 49ers and look amazing when you got Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle when you got that. And, you know, you, you got speedsters with a a, a competent quarterback. Bobby Sloak just sat back <coughs> in the and watched Brandon Iyuk and Debo Samuels take off and do whatever they were. They, they were game changers on that offense. And then you add in a Christian McCaffrey. Okay, so you go out. You're going to have to get a quarterback. You got Damian Pierce already. What do you have at wide receiver? Even Let's just say that they take Bryce Young and they bring Mechie and they they put them back together, but Mechie has set out a year. So it's going to take him a year. It's gonna I'm sorry, it's going to take him some time to get acclimated to playing in the NFL. This is a guy coming off of not only sitting out a year of football, but he's also coming off of chemotherapy. And so he's going to have to get his conditioning down, his timing down. So he's going through, it's his second year in the league, but it's his rookie year. You know, what are you going to get from Nico Collins? Let's just say Brandon Cooks is gone. What other wide receiver are you adding on top of a rookie quarterback? What do we know what Bobby Slow can do with the rookie quarterback?
0: Hmm.
1: So All I'm saying is, is that I feel like it's going to take more than just, you know, you know, like like I put it like this. And Cody, don't laugh when I say this because I always make food and because I'm a big boy and I stay hungry. Like. Like you can get all the ingredients to make a gumbo, but to make a gumbo, ah, you've man. got to have been making gumbo for a long time. You just can't eat everybody gumbo if they don't know what they're doing. Like I need some
0: earth. fat hanging off your elbow or your, your, your you well, know your shin or something. I need some fat on you for my gumbo to be good. So man. that's all
1: I'm saying is that yes, they have they're gonna have all the ingredients to make the gumbo, but we're gonna need some time for the person who knows how to make the gumbo to really make the gumbo.
0: And I would like to add to that by saying this is a physical uh, division when you look at the top two teams, man. Tennessee, when healthy, physical. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons is one of my favorite defensive tackles in the league, him and Jonathan Allen. And them boys are physical in Tennessee. When healthy, Indy is a physical team. And then this past year, when they would, whenever they was able to all at one point buy in, get on one accord, Jacksonville, and they've traditionally kind of always been physical on defense. That is a physical team. But you look at Tennessee, they're physical on both sides of the ball. Uh, again, when healthy, Indy, physical on both sides of the ball. So when adding D'Amico and when talking about the potential of, can you win this division in year one? everybody on both sides of the ball. They got to lose some of that finesseness that they got. They got to get physical in order to establish the run. That's one thing Houston hasn't been able to do. They got to get physical in order, in order to establish stopping the run. Houston ain't been able to do that since DJ Reader went to Cincy. Shout out to DJ. So I think the physicality of this team has to drastically change. Guys, we got part two of the All Black. I love saying that by the way but the uh, all black locked on texan podcast make sure you follow us on twitter at locked on texan follow me on twitter at john underscore hickman 12 also take them same few fingers that you're typing on twitter with scroll over to youtube subscribe to locked on texas on youtube run them numbers up comment in the comment sections you know every week once a week we try to go to the hood see what y'all talking about in the comment section
2: Hmm. B. Scott, start with you. Where can our listeners follow you at on all your social media platforms and work as well?
3: Yeah, man. So at Brandon K. Scott, uh, Sports Radio 16, obviously, and uh, doing the H-Town Hoops podcast with Adam Spillane, man, trying to cover these pitiful Rockets. Hopefully, hopefully the Rockets can get on whatever program it seemed like the Texans are on because it looked like they are on track. I don't know about the Rockets, man, but we're chronicling it and we're trying to figure it out. So H-Town uh, mm-hmm. Who's Podcast, wherever you get your podcast, and add Brandon K. Scott to to find out what's happening on the day-to-day. Maybe
1: Sarge. the Rockets are kind of McNair. Anyway. Uh- <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, they, should, they should call them. They should yeah, call right. them. Well, uh, well, to that point, what I would like to say is at least their owner didn't go out drunk in in, in Mardi Gras, you know, talking about pray for it put this person here so Disgusting. that's all i'm trying to say so Disgusting. that was maybe
1: man. he's talking about victor he's going to do some things maybe yeah a- yeah sure
2: yeah maybe 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 but uh, sorry just go you ahead you can find mm-hmm. me at
1: big sarge sports with the z at the end on uh, twitter and instagram you can uh listen to me uh sports talk with big sarge podcast and you can find me on youtube at uh big sarge media and you can also follow my work at uh, texans wire usa today
2: and as always, I'm your host, Cody M. Davis. Please remember to follow me on Twitter at CodyDavis underscore 24. Once again, that's Cody, C-O-T-Y-D-A-V-I-S underscore 24. Until tomorrow for part two of the Wakanda Forever podcast edition of Locked On Texans. Peace. <laughs>